That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Niagara Moon Losing my opinion Well, we got a big group in here today Old friends and new Hello, hello to everybody Whole lot of people Whole lot of people. A whole lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so let's get it out of the way here. I'm Thomas, a.k.a. Niagara Moon, a highly esteemed indie musician, and uh, with my co-host here. Then Lear, a.k.a. Matt Longo, or I guess it's probably the other way around. Uh, universally hated indie musician. Uh, we also have an old friend, Nathaniel Safran. Back for more. Who is also known as, as Safran, which is really not an a.k.a. It's really just his last name. Uh, who... <laughs> Has a great record on Spotify that you need to listen to. Uh, and then we also have the prolific, one-of-a-kind Matt Farley here, which we're so excited Matt about. Matt Farley. Hello. Thank you. It's a huge honor. Super excited to have you on. It's been a little while coming here, ever since uh, Nate presented one of your uh, tunes on the podcast a few episodes back, where you actually you wrote a song for us. So we're, we're proud to be uh, a part of your 24,000 song catalog. Yeah, well, put Nate down as a co-writer because uh, he he gave me all the the key facts. Aww. Yeah, uh, it said stuff like um, just be like, yeah, Tom, we know you lived in Japan. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> like uh, it was just like little uh, bits for like a, a light roasting. Um, I figured that would be the best flavor of like a, mm. a surprise song. It was good, and Nate, like, it was lovely. You said you said something about Matt's work where it was like. It's almost once you get into the rhythm of it, it's like listening to a podcast or something. Because initially it's funny. You're like, oh, this is this is this is great. This is interesting. And then you get into the cadence of it. And then before you know it, you're like 23 songs in. And it's just a very unique listening experience. It's kind it's kind of unlike anything else. Well, I feel like I uh I really love Matt's songs that are his takes, his opinions on music. Yeah. Which I feel like a lot of the listeners of this show, that's what they're seeking out. And then I'll listen to like, I don't know, two hours worth of that content. And then I'll just go back to like four songs, but like, oh, this one's a bop. I want to listen back to this over and over. So yeah, that that's kind of my um, you know, relationship with a lot of Matt's music. Yeah, I, I saw online on moturnmedia.com, uh, Matt Farley is the best and most prolific songwriter of all time. I'm not going to argue with that. It sounds like the name of one of Matt's songs. <laughs> He's the author of The Moturn Method. He's also a filmmaker. Your re- most recent film, uh, Magic Spot. So you're a multimedia wonderkind. Watch it on Tubi, Magic Spot. Awesome. Well, we we got a lot to get in today, uh, fellas. We got a lot to dig into. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick things off. And I'm talking about an album that I, 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 I'm going to go ahead and predict at the onset, that this is going to be a little divisive. I think we're going to have uh, differing opinions in here. Uh-oh. So I'm excited to see what uh, what may happen. Um, well, you tore us in half the last time when you <laughs> talked about Billy Joel. A, go- a Coldplay, that was even more contentious. And Cold- Coldplay was like, I've, I found myself getting angry during that, angry at you <laughs> during that episode, where it's like, <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, I've, I've never I poured my heart out on that I've one. not defended Fuck that band. I've never been in a position to get angry about Coldplay, but I was like, I feel like I need to defend Chris Martin right now. Well, today we're talking about an artist that I genuinely really like, and I think everybody here really likes them. I don't think that part is, is going to be too much up for debate, but 
This is an artist that released an album, and what my thesis is for today, what I'm coming to you with, is I believe this to be the most disrespectful album of all time from a respectable artist. Then, Lear, uh, you've, you've heard this argument from me before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it again anew here. Most disrespectful album of all time from a respectable artist that we all, we all enjoy, we all like. Um, I believe this album to be disrespectful to, I mean, the fans, that's an easy one. I believe it also to be disrespectful to uh, the genre in which he worked in, uh, to his, his bandmates, and definitely to his, his manager, the label he was on. It was just an all-around... To his parents for raising him. <laughs> but just to back up a little bit, we got any uh, Neil Young fans in the house? I knew this was going to be the album. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I was going to guess this. <laughs> you, you introduced it very well. This is trans, uh, right? We are talking about the album Trans today. Anybody familiar with trans? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mostly by reputation. Uh, has anybody actually ever like sat down and listened to the album? Uh, yes. Actually, like two years ago, uh, during work, it was just like, I would put on this oddity. And partially because there's a really good unplugged version oh. of... Um, uh, what was the song? It's something like it's not Iron Man. It's something. There's an acoustic version that Neil Young plays of that song, and it's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean the guy is an all-time legendary songwriter, a great recording ar- artist overall, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, we can get into trans, so everybody has some level of familiarity. Um, this album will never cease to baffle me. We got to listen to a song. Let's let's put us in the mood. Is this here. a robot? Is this a robot one? Am I thinking of? There are some robot moments on here for sure. He used a vocoder okay. uh, for many of these songs. So the the album is from uh, 1983. Uh, it was the first one released during his uh, Geffen era when he was on uh, Geffen Records, and uh, definitely does not very much resemble any of his earlier stuff. This album does have its fans. It's not Neil Young himself has stuck up for this in, in later years, basically saying, you know, the only real problem he had with it was the rushed mixing. But other than that, the content still totally stands. Uh, the guy was following his muse. But uh, so the question I want to pose to the group today is, was that muse just... A middle a middle finger? Just no good. That was a, a bad muse. You know how you get a bad muse sometimes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you said disrespectful. So that sounds to me like you think yes. he was actively trying to annoy people with the robot sound. I think the actions were disrespectful. His intentions, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I I can get into the ins and outs of that later uh, on a few different levels. But let's get into the dang music. Uh, We're going to listen to, oh, let's go with uh, Computer Cowboy. I want to check that one out. Oh, man. Nate, I feel like you told me about this record at some point. Yeah. Um, I think that the whole wasn't, I mean, Thomas, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that the idea was that he was contractually contractually obligated to give the record label another album, and he really did not want to. And so he's like, hey, how about this like bullshit techno album? And uh, they're like, oh, great. That's what we want from Neil Young is, uh, wow. you know, Electronica. Um, and so in that way, I, I, you know, you're kind of right in that it is pretty disrespectful. Oh, yeah. No, we, we can get into it. I watched a documentary on David Geffen 
uh, last year that was pretty fascinating. And the guy is a pretty dang respected figure in the music industry. Like he's one of the top all time, you know, managers and curators of uh, certainly of the 70s and 80s. Uh, and he was kind of going out on a limb. Like he started his new label and he was really trying to, you know, get things together and make it like a, have it, you know, give it a sound financial base. He's not just some greedy, faceless money dude. And uh, the, I mean, the story goes, or at least what I uh, remember from the documentary, what I'm seeing here on Wikipedia too, is this project had started out as something else called Island in the Sun. Uh, and then that was sort of, basically the feedback from Geffen was, you can do better, you know, try again a little bit. And some of the songs from that carried over, some of the songs from Island in the Sun carried over to Trans. So not every song on Trans was like from the same session or with the same kind of like electronic music setup. And those songs stick out like a sore thumb. But uh, that's, uh, that might have been the, the history of that. But Computer Cowboy is about as Trans as, as Trans gets. This is definitely uh, electronic feel here. I think this is going to be good. That's my take. I feel All like right. uh, you're, you're optimistic. I, I remember when we talked about it the first time, I feel like I might have been a little harsh on it, but I haven't really revisited it. I just remember initially checking it out and reading up on it, and I was like, no good. But maybe maybe y'all can persuade me today. I'm, I'm excited by the cover. Computer Say Cowboy. That. Yeah. <laughs> the cover is intense. Here we go. Matt Farley's popping a little bit. <laughs> well, he rides the range till midnight, and the wild coyotes yowl, and he trots beneath the floodlights, and the forest rhythm is perfect. Yeah. That's, uh... Yeah, that, that sounds exactly like what it is. <laughs> Not much going on below the surface, you're saying? I, I uh, yeah, I'm sort of perplexed by it. I mean, it 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 sounds like Neil Young making uh, robot songs. Like like it, this nothing. It really does sound like him. I'm not confused. Like, oh, this is like a different <laughs> artist. Like, it sounds like Neil Young with a vocoder. Uh, yeah, I I um I. It's, I, like I said, I knew it by reputation. I don't think I've ever, I've definitely never heard that song. And like, the from reading about it, I thought it was, I thought it would be like, completely like amorphous, you know? Like, I thought it was going to be right. more me- metal machine music, you know? Lou Reed just, just noise with, with this weird, you know, I read about the vocoder whatever thing too. And um and so it's a little shocking at first to hear it to just hear that that riff going on. It's like oh this is this is like nor- a normal song. And then the voice comes in, 
and uh, it's, I mean, it, in part, it's hilarious, you know, like, I, I, this is fun, this is very funny, you know, um, and I'm all, I'm in favor of following the muse, even if it's a, if it's a bad muse, you gotta follow it, just to get through, just get through that, so that then the next muse, because the next muse doesn't yeah. come until you follow the first, the bad muse, That's or whatever. That's a fair point, yeah. You, so you gotta follow the muse. So the only thing I would say is like, like, start your own record company, okay, Neil? <laughs> start your own record company and put a lot of money into this project, you know? Because it's a lot easier to do it with David Geffen's money than it is to do it with your own money. And like, you know, everyone always sides with the artist over the record company. And like, you know, I, I usually do too, but every once in a while, it's like, the record company ha has a point, you know, like, and like, I don't want to receive notes from a record company. And so I don't sign with one, you know, that's like, you know, all these right, artists. That's like, part of the deal. I'm, I don't want to get notes. It's like, well, then don't accept their millions of dollars. Okay. And like, so, and for him to, for that to be his first, like, did, was this like a long con that he had going with Geffen where he like was mad at him in 1967 and, and finally got back <laughs> at him in 82 or whatever? You almost start to wonder because he had never done electronic music before. He never did again. And then the record after this is definitely a lot more competent, uh, but it's like just him going full on rockabilly and just like committing to a weird character and like the album's only 26 minutes long and again, it's an experiment and a little iffy and certainly didn't do tremendously well financially, but some, you know, that's one thing, but to have that follow on the tails of this, uh, part of my, my back, going back to my thesis of disrespect, this literally caused, uh, Geffen to, I forget if the lawsuit went through, but Geffen was like, we're suing you, bro. Like we signed up, we had an agreement you're gonna you're doing this twice in a row on me. And you know, on paper, if you hear nothing about the story, you know, record label manager sues the artist. Oh, oh my God, what what a callous, you know, short-sighted thing to do. But in this one case, I'm like, you kind of twisted the guy's arm, buddy. Uh, yeah. yeah. And maybe I th I think maybe I want to play one more song that I'm a little more familiar with before I go into why I think this is disrespectful to electronic music, the genre. Um and to other artists who, who work in that vein. Yeah, but, it's never uh, good when you make a record that's disrespectful to an entire genre. Uh, <laughs> and David Geffen, he put up with a lot, I think. As far as execs go, you know, there aren't too many like him. He indulged yeah. the, the, the Crosbys and the, yeah. Yeah, and if of, you've seen the, the Eagles documentary, I mean, what he went through with, like, those very angry fellas, uh, particularly Don Henley, who ended up signing with him as a solo artist after like a ton of lawsuits. He was just like, still went with him and David Geffen in the documentary is like, well, why did you sign with me then again? What was the problem? Uh, so yeah, he's, he's yeah. put upon, I think. My point about this being disrespectful to his bandmates. I mean, who doesn't love crazy horse, right? Neil Young plus crazy horse. What a classic sound that is. And they had been working for a while. And then I love this quote from uh, the guitarist Pancho San Pedro. Uh, they like had started working on some new tunes, maybe around 1981, like after the Reactor album. This quote here, next thing we knew, Neil stripped all our music off, overdubbed all this stuff, the vocoder, weird sequencing, and put the synth shit on it. 
So it's like, you know, you're working with your guy, your, your, your band, your, your, you know, you're, you're creating this music together. You're on a good run. And then you're replaced by some half-assed uh, drum sequencing, you know, with no real notice. Well, let me, yeah. And let me just say, like, in defense of Neil in this particular instance, let's face it, where's Crazy Horse uh, <laughs> without Neil, you know? And like, like Crazy Horse, like, I can't believe they, Neil took me out of this. But on the flip side, it's like, I can't believe Neil Young made my uh, whole life. How about that? And he, <laughs> he, he, he kicked me out of one album and, and then he, and then he brought me back again. So, so yeah, let's, I'm going to give Neil, I'm going to give Neil a point on that particular one. Like, uh, it, it's yeah. kind of like in terms of the power dynamic or like, uh, you know, it's the same, like the record company, Neil kind of owes the record company. And likewise, Crazy Horse kind of should defer to Neil uh, a little bit. It is know? that hierarchy. Yeah. It's, it's the hierarchy. And, and again, it just like, if if Neil if Neil put this album out with his own money, I mean that like way to go. That's rock and roll. That's doing your thing. God bless you. Um, but this weird thing, and obviously the record. You know, I have I don't have a lot of respect for like big you know major record labels. So it's weird to it's be defending to. <laughs> to be defending yeah. them. But uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> he brings this out in us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then I'm defending Coldplay for 25 minutes on my podcast. Yeah, that's a great idea for a uh, T-shirt, by the way. The record label has a point. Is it good? <laughs> yeah, sometimes notes and parameters can be good on, on us artists because let's face it, we are uh, we're indulgent Maniacs. people, you know. <laughs> you know what this uh, that song kind of reminded me of that first track off of Yeezus, where Kanye oh, is just like, I'm gonna sight. bring in death. Yeah, I'm just gonna bring in death punk. It's like if Daft Punk did a treatment on a Neil Young album. Um, although that would be way better than what you just played. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah I'm like, I want to hear that. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like that Kanye song. That, that so do I. Those are good fart sounds. Like those are those are excellent <laughs> fart sounds. These these fart sounds are not good. Well, all right, we got to get into another song. This is this is going astray here. Uh, I want to listen to the song "Sample and Hold." Matt Farley might be aware. The other two, of you, I, I don't know what your keyboard knowledge is. That's like a synthesizer term. That's like a setting you can have uh, when you, I don't know. You're like you're working out the pattern of the filter or something. Obviously, Neil saw that on a uh, a, a synthesizer he was using, and, and oh, cool. Make my song that sample and hold. Uh, Good foundation lyrically for a song, I think. Yeah. So I'm going to play you both, uh, or not both. We got, I can't keep up with all the people in here. I'm going to play this giant group, uh, the song Sample and Hold. Again, this is another track off of Trans. 1983. Put yourself back in 1983. <laughs> I mean, this makes the last song sound incredible. <laughs> 
Is this better or worse than David Bowie's Love? <laughs> I gotta think about that. They were compared at the time by really? album reviewers, yeah. This is like low if Iggy Pop was handling the engineering. You guys feeling that groove? I kind of like this. <laughs> you like this better than the last one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. What are you, a nut? <laughs> Come on. I want to skip ahead a little bit. It's going to go to like a, a breakdown section here. It's eight minutes long. Eight minutes long, yeah. <laughs> Here's like the breakdown part. That's the breakdown? If I told you guys I just produced this myself this morning and put it on YouTube, like, would you believe yeah. me? <laughs> <laughs> totally. I feel like I should be watching, like, 80s women with big hair and, like, pink spandex exercising. Yeah. All right. So, has anybody's mind changed? Nate, you said you're warming up to this a little more, having heard. Uh, I kind of liked this album the first time I listened to it, and I still like it. Okay, so it's it's like uh, Neil Young's Low for you. Uh, not quite that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I think that there actually are some songs on that album where the songwriting's pretty good. So the, and a lot of it's just like buried under just it being like transformed into like vocoder vocals and shit like that. So the, the track I was uh, thinking of is called Transformer Man. And there's a Neil Young unplugged album and they, that's, they play it there and you could tell that the song's really good. Oh. And so I think there's actually some decent songwriting throughout this album. But does it transcend the other creative decisions? That uh, at times. I mean, I kind of liked that. So <laughs> I don't know. Wow. See my, my issue with it and why I feel it's like disrespectful to electronic music a little bit. It's, you know, it's, Late 70s, early 80s, that's a period where that genre of music is really kind of coming into its own and people are starting to be, kind of become aware of it. You got your craft works and your yellow magic orchestras. And I feel like a really important aspect of doing that kind of music is precision, especially rhythmically. The, the kind of the point of the thing is you can kind of construct a groove and have it like tight and presented a certain way that you don't get if your band is Crazy Horse, which... If you're working with Crazy Horse and you're a little off tempo or very slow or very loose and you sound inebriated, that's awesome and that like that's a great vibe. But then to just take that over to synths and drum machines, I think is makes no sense. Oh, maybe he was ahead of his time because you think of Jay Dilla, the legendary hip hop producer, who like his whole innovation was using just making things a little slightly off time to give it a more of an organic feel so it doesn't sound like super quantized. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, if there was no uh, Neil Young, Crazy Horse and Trans, there'd be no Jay Dilla. <laughs> Great. That's a good argument. M Matt, did you like that better or worse than the last one? I, I liked it better uh, than the previous song. And in, okay. in general, I'm, I'm finding that this whole album is much more coherent than 
what I was, like I said, much more coherent than what I was expecting. And, and like, and I mean, ultimately it's like, why are we, why, why are you singing through this machine, Neil? It's, it's this thing that like sounds good for a day and then you mm. should the next day reconsider it, you know, and just be like, well, let's just take this weird effect off. And it's kind of, it's, it's, it's still weird, but it's like, at least it's Neil Young's voice, which again is something people want when they see a Neil Young album, you know, he, he could have, he could have called himself, you know, like, you know, Ben Folds put out that fear of pop album, um, because, and he called himself fear of pop because it was like, well, people looking for a Ben Folds 5 album will be disappointed by this. So I'm going to kind of like put it in a separate category. So I would have preferred if Neil did that. Um, and then um, I just had another idea. Like in terms of like when you look at a baseball player, like when he's 30, you know, he'll hold out for a super big contract. Okay. And it's a contract where the team gives him a lot of money. And they know that the last three years of the contract, they're not going to be getting their money's worth, you know? But in a way, it's baseball as a, in general, paying the guy for all the work he did ahead of time. Um, and mm. w- when he was underpaid, you know? And so, in some ways, this whole thing with Geffen, it, if you look at it in the music industry in general, it's like the music industry probably owed Neil Young in 1983 for everything, all the money he'd produced uh, in the previous 15 years. And so, right. so that, and the only difference being like a baseball player, I don't think is actively like, <laughs> you know, you know, giving the finger to the, the owner when he can't hit anymore. It's just cause he's old and run down. Whereas there does seem to be a little bit of intention <laughs> be, behind Neil's decision here. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot to think about, but I can't help but just kind of be like, yeah. <laughs> You're still getting cool. in the room. I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> so in that analogy, this would be like if Aaron Judge in 2029 came out with a wiffle ball bat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and said to the Yankees, hey, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, this is his Bobby Bonilla. This is the beginning of his Bobby Bonilla yes. contract. <laughs> wow. You know what? Y'all are sorry, Thomas. I, I think I'm losing my own opinion a little bit here. You're very, you're all. I mean, I still don't like this, and I think it's dog. Like, if I'm just going to speak frankly, I think it's dog shit. But I don't think it's the most disrespectful album of all time by a uh, respectable artist anymore. It's uh, it's it's its own deal now. I, I can't quite pin that title. I get on what. It. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, Metal Machine. Metal Machine music is, I, I would much rather listen to this than Metal Machine music. Again, but I mean, you know, what, what kind of scale are we dealing with here? Yeah, you know? that, that's, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to listen to just droning guitar distortion <laughs> for 45 minutes at a time? or Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a toss up. Wow. Well, I'm going to retreat into my uh, my corner here. I think I've been um, vanquished. Y'all y'all were kind of into that. So I guess so we found some new trans It wasn't fans. as bad as I thought it was going to be, though. Uh, it's Fair There's enough. something there. Yeah. And I would rather listen to this than Metal Machine Music. I'd rather listen to Lulu than this, though. Cause I've, oh, now you <laughs> lost me. No, I think this beats Lulu. I, I, Lulu, I feel like, is a an absolute fucking mess. But it's uh, interesting. And, and it's, it's like funnier. It's like, a, you know, in the Mystery Science Theater episodes, like some of them are too bad to even be funny. Uh, you right. know, this is Lulu's. Yeah, is bad enough. Lulu has enough energy funny. behind it to kind of. Are you familiar with that uh, record, Lulu, Matt? 
Uh, it's another one. I know it exists, but I don't think I've ever listened to it. Uh, I listened to another music podcast, Joker Men, and they're they're doing Lou Reed right now, and they're they're uh, advertising that Lulu not not as bad as people think. So we'll wait and see when they get to it. That's but, what I uh, say. They're they they're they're going to do a little revisionist history when they get to it. <laughs> Yeah, I I remember there were moments, especially like when they were instrumental, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to slam this as being one of the worst of all time or whatever. But I, but. I got to say I respect the take, but it is as bad as people think. <laughs> <laughs> it might be yeah, worse. Yeah, it was, it was really small pockets where I'm like, I can get into this. Oh, but then he's doing his weird Lou Reed thing again, which I like classic Lou. But anyway, I've gone on long enough. We got a second segment today, led by the the one, the only Matt Farley. I'd be very interested to see what you have uh, brought in for us today. Uh, Matt, what have you been listening to? Losing my opinion. Okay, so, you know, I'm a big Dylan fan, and um, the one thing about Dylan is that, uh, you know, he get you don't know what he's talking about a lot, you know? In, uh, Enunciation? No, not even that. The actual words... One word next that to too. the other one, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, and and he gets away with it, you know, and and it's it's poetry, obviously, as opposed to prose, and I think frequently he's just writing down whatever and just giggling, you know, um, but you know, just with uh, you know, sometimes you go in one direction, sometimes you go in another, and it's made me um, appreciate prose, you know, like totally straightforward just state you know like there's no interpretation necessary you know in the in the songs i've been listening to lately so th- that's the theme really and maybe i just shared this if you want to if you want to play this oh, this sweet. is this is splendor in the grass by jackie DeShannon. i think that's your name and um all right from the mid 60s and i love everything about it i love the just the straightforward lyrics is the the best part but also the just the loose performance and um let's just listen to it and enjoy ourselves for a minute or so all right i like it we're getting right into the tunes splendor in the grass featuring the birds mm-hmm. the birds are the backup band what? in this particular song wow that's exciting. Yeah, I was listening uh, on Friday night. I don't know what made me do this, but I listened to the song "The Hurricane" by Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah, classic. And uh, I was really taken by how literal it was for Bob Dylan. Right. Yeah. Well, he co-wrote it too. He didn't even. Yeah. He, it's a co-write. Yeah. 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 That collaborator he had for the Desire album, like uh, Jacques, Black Diamond Bay and everything. That. Yeah. Like the narrative really connects more clearly than a lot of his mm. other work. And Isis. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, Decky to Shannon, Splendor in the Grass. Let's do it up here. The first love I ever had. The first time I went back. The first time I left home. The first time I felt alone The first time I was hurt The first thing I did wrong If I had one wish I'd ask To relive splendor in the grass That's a sweet, yeah 
the very first person I did miss The first time I said goodbye The first time I felt I'd die love that song i know exactly what you're talking about the directness of it is poignant because it's additive like you kind of just keep digesting these really direct simple messages it reminds me of this uh, big thief song called not which is kind of going through a litany of just it's not this it's not that it's not this other thing it's kind of similar because by the end you're very emotional because it's just it's throwing out all these evocative direct things and it's just like it's uh, added up to this cathartic experience. Yeah, I also want to give credit to the performance because um, th- it's it's very loose. You know, it, it it feels it feels like a rehearsal, and and I love that. You know, like and it's sort of like how the the replacements like when you're listening to replacement songs, sometimes it feels like they're just on the edge of totally collapsing. You know. But they, they <laughs> somehow keep it keep it together, and like it's the same thing here where it, it again it just like it was all right guys let's go through it once and then we'll do the real thing. But they did that and like you know what that was the real thing. So I mean you know the very first the first person that I missed you know it's like such a I mean j- just you know there's no no poetry in in, in there it's just like it, it, but it's a little profound because you don't even think about it you're like you know there's a time when you when you feel the feeling of missing someone for the first time. And that's, that's intense. And she does say it gets heavier as it goes on. She's the first time I felt shame. And I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like, this is not just like a regular sixties love song. Uh, it's, it's, it's yeah. poignant and straightforward. I really like it. I hear, I love listening to Roger McGuinn play anything. So Yeah. Yeah, the the birds. That's a great choice for a song like that, and it sounds like they rehearsed it like just the right amount. They didn't overcook it or anything. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah. I'm I'm I got goosebumps. I just want. I've been listening to this song. I've listened to this song forty times in the last two months. <laughs> Still giving me goosebumps, and I'm I'm loving it. And uh, like, isn't it great? Isn't I know you know. She sang it in 1964, and here we are getting goosebumps from it in 2023. What a world, huh? Uh, yeah. No, the <laughs> that could definitely end up on a uh, a Wes Anderson film. Oh, so much. I guess Thin Lear doesn't like when I keep I don't saying, like it when he you says know, that, but yeah, this, sure. Yeah, yeah kind of like how Nico uh, they, he uses Nico uh, doing these days in uh, uh-huh. Royal Tenenbaums. It's got that kind of po- it's got that kind of power to it. Yeah. Yeah, I love a it's, tune like that. It's gosh darn beautiful. Then, okay, the next one's obvious, but um, it's the same thing, and it's specifically it's. Well, you don't have to. We can just listen to a little bit. Let's get. It's. I just wasn't made for these times by the Beach Boys. Obvious song, but I, I've been struck lately by specifically when whoever comes in and just starts singing. Sometimes I feel very sad, and again, it's just like like. <laughs> No poetry whatsoever, and I love the mm-hmm. fact that you know Brian Wilson wrote it with some like some a jingle writer, you know, like he Tony he Asher, yeah, Tony Asher, who was writing jingles like in the studio across the hall, 
And Brian's like, hey, do you want to you want to come over and write my masterpiece with me? He's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. sure. And so, um, and I feel, you know, I wasn't there, obviously, but it feels like Brian Wilson was just like, I kind of wanted to express how sometimes I feel very sad. And Ashley was like, all right, let me see. Let me see. How about sometimes I feel very sad? And Brian was like, there you go. Nice. You know, so for all we know, Asher was merely just the, uh, the, the, the pen that was writing the words that was coming out of Brian. But sometimes a songwriter needs that, you know, like you need, you know, Paul McCartney says, uh, that he wrote the line, like, the movement you need is on your shoulder. And he said, uh, I don't know what that means. And John Lennon was like, who cares? It's great. Keep it. And it's like, that's beautiful. And honestly, yeah. that's worth 50% co-writer credit that John Lennon gets, you know? <laughs> like, I say, if someone's in the room with me while I'm writing a song, you're a co-writer because <laughs> I don't know how much you're influencing this process, and I appreciate you. So I love that. Yeah, let's get goosebumps again and, uh, and listen to a little bit of that. <laughs> Thomas loves this record, by the way. This is like... love. I mean, Brian. who doesn't? Well, I guess Thin yeah. Lear. But uh, love this record. This is my favorite song from the album, too. I really have a sweet spot for this one. I'm still getting over my goosebumps from Computer Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Robot goosebumps. Sample and hold? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's direct. Yeah. For me, it's direct to the trash. That's where it's going. All right. I love this goddamn tune. I just wasn't made for these times from a classic album. Here we go. I keep looking for a place to fit in where I can speak my mind. And I've been trying hard to find the people that I won't leave behind. They say I got brains, but they Here it comes. that song uh when i grew up to be a man kind of reminds yeah. me a little bit of that in its simplicity where it's just sort of straight to the gut and it's impactful it's the music is so intricate and demands your attention so much it's like how could the lyrics you know how could we get into a bunch of word games and all that too it's like one element of it needs to just be so straightforward it's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, that's that a good point. Great point. Yeah, if you're going to pick up an acoustic guitar, right, you probably are going to have to do something with your lyrics, unless you're, like, Daniel Johnston is pretty unique in that he can do something that's very direct and still impactful, but I don't know how many Daniel Johnstons there are out there. 
So yeah, that that's just that's just beautiful, and and like I said, totally straightforward. And just while we're on the Beach Boys, uh, I always want to just put a little plug for a little album called Beach Boys Love You that came out about ten years later. And it's I, just... I heard you talk about this on my favorite album nice. with Jeremy Dillon. I was okay. like, this... I love that album too, but I'm like, wow, this guy's a madman. His favorite album, Love You, that thing's bonkers. It's so bonkers. Even just the opening line of that album is, To get you, babe, I went through the ring. Ah. <laughs> and again, it's just like, all right, we're, you know, like, <laughs> it just, In it. just take your, your brain and just turn it into a record somehow. Like, you know, there's no... No filter or whatever, um, and so that's good. Another thing, uh, slightly off topic, but um, Mike Love gets a lot of flack, you know, um, for being like the Beach Boy that everyone kind of rips on, and like he's he's he does he's not the genius like Brian, you know. And to that, I would say like, I don't know, try spending fifty years working with the Brian genius, and maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you end up a little bit like Mike Love, where you're like, "Okay, Bry, all right, man, cool it. Yeah. Let's try to make some money and, and rights, you know." Like, and also like they did, they did collaborate sometimes. And there's a um, there's a demo of uh, Brian playing those songs from "Love You," like demo version. You get a recording of it playing them for Mike, and and you can hear Mike being like, "Right on, man!" This is, and he's being encouraging and he's being nice, and it's like. Well, that's not the the Mike Love that everyone always portrays him to be. So, you know, I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, maybe who knows? Maybe he's not. He can't be that bad, right? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you waited, you hear Brian say, "Oh, I'm working on songs," and then six years go by, yeah, you might get a little <laughs> exasperated yeah. at that point. Yeah, or in in like a song like Vegetables, you know, like <laughs> I love Vegetables, but I can definitely see. Um, yep. You know the other guys just being like, "Oh, this is who's this Van Dyke guy that you're you're working with now?" Yeah. You came up, that's, what about um? Let's get that. She's ad, going bald. Can we? Let's can get we that. Work on that, that jingle writer. Bring back that jingle writer. <laughs> he he seemed to do a good job. <laughs> Didn't you guys cover Van Dyke Parks? We did. Yeah, I talked about a, a, how I like to listen to Song Cycle before I go to sleep. Uh, yeah, the whole that whole thing where Van Dyke came in, but I think Brian Wilson didn't really clear it with the rest of the guys. Like, you know, him and Van Dyke just kind of went off and had their own direction that they were on. But you're still part of the Beach Boys. You're making a yeah. Beach Boys album. I think that was yeah. It's you know, those, tough. All those yeah. early '70s records. It's yeah, very weird and mixed and contentious. That was that was probably very. Complicated I, I love dynamic. those early '70s records in some ways because of that. You know, it's like so crazy the the back and forth from one track to the next, and uh, yeah. but some gosh darn masterpieces in there. Feel flows. Is, oh is yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, there's and uh, you know I, I I sign off after love you though after love you I can't uh, I can't sign on to any post Bermuda <laughs> love you I love ding dang <laughs> I just want to give that song a shout I don't know out what you're talking about I know and it's from that album oh, okay. uh, that from '76 or '77 um, also uh, the side two of love you is like is is just like get out the hanky and just cry uh, at all these beautiful songs. So so anyway, I got one more for my my uh, presentation on um on just straightforwardness uh and earnestness in in songwriting. And this oh, yeah. is a song. I don't I know nothing about this person. I don't know if 
he's well known or anything, Francis Dunnery. He's got a song called Too Much Saturn. And in and, and that way, it's a tiny bit poetic, but um, it, I guess it's poetic in the same way that, that the whole Splendor in the Grass refrain is a little poetry there. Um, so at the refrain, he's singing about how he's too much Saturn and not enough moon. I don't know anything about astrology, so I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I do know that the the lyrics are very honest, and it's specifically he's telling about how like he try he tries to do a bunch of things to like prove that he's good, you know, but then he admits mm. he admits the true intentions between all of his actions, which are seem very honest, and because of that are very are kind of funny too, but also um, a little bit uh, poignant or whatever. So. When you're ready, let's let's listen to a little tune. You guys, any of you heard of this guy or this song? No, never. never. Well, the more obscure, the better, I believe it says yeah. on your uh, Twitter, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm down with that. Yeah, it's a fascinating album cover I'm looking at here. Tall blonde helicopter, Francis Donnery. Let's get the screen share going. You guys can see what I'm talking about. And just at the very beginning, he 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 talks as the intro is happening. He says, "This is a song about severe emotional problems," which is uh, again very very straightforward and probably unnecessary. But anyway, let's go. He looks like a like a hard ass on that album cover. He looks like a boxer yeah. from the 1920s. <laughs> he just came over from the potato famine. All right, here we go. Francis Dunnery. I'm hyped. This is a story about severe emotional problems. I always believed that if I ran out to India, wore sandals and shaved my head, and used body shop conditioner, burn incense like crazy, I could call myself a spirit head. But I only went to India to look on top. I wore sandals cause I'd smoked all my money. And I shaved off all my hair cause I had the fleas I'd been sleeping all over And the body shop conditioner was a present from a friend And the incense used to hide the smell of the drug den where I lay Yeah And so I ask myself what my motives are For this lying need to look so free and if I tell myself real honestly, what more can I admit to? Open up a door, he said, I'm gonna find out what I'm here for. He said, I'll find out soon. I got too much Saturn, not enough. Let's do one more verse if we can. The next verse is real fun, too. I always believed that if I never missed a yoga class, Read my horoscope in the dailies And recycled bottles And no red Indian I could call myself a spirit man But I was only doing yoga Cause I fancied the teacher And stars cause it looked good on paper And I only went to church Cause my granny gave me money When confession was over And I only knew the Indian Cause his brother's a dealer Bottles at a price on their return So I could go and play Oh my my And so I ask myself What my motives are For this lying need to look so free And if I 
just checking all my boxes. I'm here for, he said I'd find out soon I got too much Saturn, not enough Yeah, fine, fine songwriting Yeah, that's some good stuff And like, I mean, I, I'm just hearing it in headphones I'm just, like, he says, like I only had the incense because it, it it covered the smell of the drug den that drug den that I <laughs> laid in, you know. And um, I love like I was only doing yoga because I fancied the teacher. That's and a great line. So nice, yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, it's incredibly well written. So like, we we, I'm saying it's prose, but I mean, there's definitely like a rhythm to the the way that right. the words are coming out. That's that's very obviously uh, he worked on, but. Uh, it's just like and 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 there just a major seems to be a major sincerity uh, going on there, you know, where he's he seems to be like, what am I doing and why am I doing it, you know, which is something that uh, we people don't often uh, <laughs> bother thinking about. And there's a live version which at the end of it, it like the you know like on a live album like there's the the banter. I think banter should get its own track distinction too, just so you don't have to listen to it when you make a playlist. But anyway, his banter that I've listened to a bunch of times is um, after the song, he's just like, you know, I just want to thank the local paper for writing such a nice article about this show, and I hope it brought out a lot of people. Let's say thanks to the local paper, Aww. and to to it, I'm I'm kind of like, yeah, that. That checks out, you know. The guy who wrote that song would be, you know, would want to uh, thank the local newspaper for writing a story about him. So, anyway, what do you guys think? I fucking love that song. I'll let you guys go first, but that that really that rocked. I think just in general, um, I like direct lyrics where they're vulnerable without being maudlin and self serious, right? So I feel like yeah. that nailed it, right? Yeah. I feel like if by them being so direct, it is very vulnerable, but he, you could tell that the guy's just like, you know, he's just talking about everyday stuff. And, you know, the lyrics are like kind of funny, like the going to yoga because you think the teacher's hot. Right. Uh, I, I liked it a lot. There, uh, yeah. I thought it was a great song. Really well written. There's a piece of this, though, that I can't ignore, which is all three of those songs had fantastic melodies. So it's like, mm, and Matt, uh, I know you're a sucker for a great melody. So I think that it's the, if you're going to do that, it's you definitely combo. need a great melody and it carries yeah. you through. I think if those songs had anything right. less than excellent melodies, we maybe wouldn't be talking about how poignant the directness is maybe. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And, and it's so, the melodies are so effortless that uh, I didn't even notice how great they were until right now. So well said. And that brings me, yeah, Nate, go for it. Uh, I was going to say, I'd go as far as to say, I wouldn't be talking about any lyrics if the melody wasn't good. Because yeah. to me, the lyrics are so secondary to the melody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, as a guy there. who loves lyrics, yeah. I feel the same way. And that brings me to something I have to ask Matt about, that we have him here. Uh, McCartney. So, you know, he is a someone who may be the best uh, melodicist, the best melody writer in history, perhaps. And he's someone yeah, who does get yeah. shit on for his lyrics sometimes. Uh, I want to know yeah. for our listeners, what is what do you feel is a slept on solo McCartney record that people, so not like Ram, not Band of the Run, like a solo McCartney record that people are just like not 
looking at as as great that they should be looking at? Uh, well, I mean, I would say maybe Flaming Pie mm-hmm. from like '96 or '97. There's a song, specifically a song called Calico, Calico Skies, Skies yeah. on that album, which is just like it. And I, I, I say this sometimes, so I've re, I've said this on podcasts, but it's where Paul's just like, yeah, I'll just write a perfect song, you know, like it's a Tuesday, <laughs> why not? And like, and you know, it 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 feels like, and who's talking about? No one's talking about Flaming Pie, <laughs> but they should because it's a, it's a good album, pretty much from start to finish. There's a couple tracks on there. They're like, it's kind of long, you know. But I mean, you can you can pick out uh, a handful of just superb songs, specifically that one. So let's let's hear it for Cali- uh, for uh, Flaming Pie. <laughs> I, lo- I love that song and that record. It came out around the same time as the anthology, so it was like uh, it just kind of tacked on to that experience for me. Yeah, I got lost in the shuffle a little bit behind behind all that other stuff. But um, but yeah, that was good. And then uh, even um, Chaos and Creation in the backyard, I think, is real good. Uh, oh, and yeah, Driving Rain. Yeah, he was doing well. Late 90s, early 2000s. Good little run. I had to ask. Sorry, Thomas. I uh, had to. We have him here. I need to ask him. Well, I was going to say Venus and Mars. Oh, yeah. and that one's kind of growing on me. And not quite as uh, esteemed as Band on the Run, maybe, but was in that pocket. I read a, a quote where he said, "Where he said, One, someday someone's going to listen to Back to the Egg and they're going to under, they're going to get it, you know." And uh, I'm not even that person. <laughs> but <laughs> so one day someone's going to listen to Trans yet. and Hail Me as a Genius. <laughs> oh man! Well, I heard three awesome tunes in a row there. Uh, I liked that last song the way that I love uh, good stand-up comedy where it's like a way to really explore like problems and neuroses and, but in a way, yeah, it's not like too maudlin or um, self-pitying and it's kind of opens up a conversation, like kind of talks about it in a way that's very connecting, like universal almost like this guy's willing to be this vulnerable and this upfront and this honest and just like lay it all out there and kind of nonchalantly too, you know, also against a killer melody, but just, it's very kind of cathartic feeling. When you and he, like he, that. And he like like a comedian too. He sets him up and then he knocks him down too, yeah, brilliantly. Yeah, the the punchlines kept coming when he, I'm doing yoga, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and then just the way one by one where he's like, well, actually, I had ulterior motives. That was yeah. I can see why you definitely wanted to make sure we uh, caught on to that that key moment there. It's amazing. That song's just been sitting there uh, for th- uh, 30 years. I don't even know what, 20, 25 years for you waiting to present itself to you guys. And now it's happened. It's magical. It has presented itself. Yeah. It's going right on my Spotify. I, I was not yeah, expecting I, that's what it was going to sound like based on the guy's no. picture. No. I was expecting it to sound like idols or something. Because <laughs> he looked like he was from like train spotting. He's got a, yeah. he's got a Danny, Danny Boyle look to him. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Well, what have we all learned today? This is we got a whole classroom worth of uh, of musically minded fellows here, but I'd like to go one by one uh, hear what uh, what what we gained from today. I learned that Nate likes uh, the album Trance, and I I'm I'm surprised by that, honestly. I, well, look, I put it on I've put it on once before. This is like my second time ever listening to it, so it's not like oh man. This is uh, in in my rotation. Uh, I'm not revisiting it, you know, on a monthly basis. But uh, you know, I just think that it 
there is some quality songwriting there that is kind of uh, buried underneath vocoder bullshit. But I don't know. It's a, worth a listen. You blame the vocoder. Okay. <laughs> Largely. Yeah. Uh, Thin Lear, how about you? Um, yeah, I think uh, Trance is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, and I'm interested to check out Jackie DeShannon because I don't really know anything about her. Uh, I know she collaborated with Randy Newman. That's like the only thing that I know about her prior to today. And that song was great. Like I, that, that's my favorite song that I heard this whole podcast. So um, I hope to find other tunes like that in her catalog because that one was, was fantastic. That was killer. My turn. Mr. Matt Farley, yes, I would love to hear your. Well, I, I, it, uh, today, today's session has got me thinking about like um, anticipation or expectation um, versus uh, you know reality, and like you know, I, I've I've been primed for decades to assume that that Trans is one of the worst albums of all time, and. Um, and so I mean, so I have decades of propaganda, you know, <laughs> telling me this this is just horrible. It's it's an offense to the ears. And so my expectations very low, very low. And then I hear it, and 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 then I'm like, oh, okay, you know. So I I, I want to confess that like, if it were an even playing field, you know, and it was just like <laughs> here's a Neil Young album, <laughs> then I'd probably be a little harsher on it, you know. So. Um, so you you know you have we we definitely fought back against you, but I think a, a lot of that has to do with with the reputation that the album has. Because I mean, mm. I mean that song. What was the second song? Oh, oh yeah, sample. Sample and, uh, and hold was the second one. Yeah. yeah. Before that, I mean, uh, computer cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> sample and hold <laughs> is is good in the way that like. I think did one of you say something about Mystery Science Theater three thousand uh, two thousand whatever it's called like like watching a um, a bad campy bad movie you know it's like that and and so and also like I feel like I feel like there's this like old, uh, I don't know what you call it like a bell curve you know where like mm. when you're young you like good you like quote unquote good songs that everyone agrees are good and then if you're like us and you go uh. deep 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 into it by the time you're like. <laughs> 45 years old, you're like, I can only listen <laughs> to Jandak uh, or something, you know, like I can only listen you're to all just, twisted around. Yeah. And, and you're, and, and we're going to go back, you know, we're going to get back to just being like, all right, let's face it. Like, you know, Rubber Soul is a great album. I, you know, I, and so, um, you know, right. I'm, you know, I'm 44 years old, so I'm right. I'm, I'm right there at 45 is when you, if you, if you go deep into music, it's the, the age where you just, you lose your mind and you're like, you know, <laughs> trans and like, how old was Neil actually when that came out? I, he was probably what, mid thirties, mid late thirties. So, yep. um, it's weird. I, and also I just wanted like, did Geffen at least get <laughs> keep on rocking in the free world? Was that, please tell me Geffen at least got that album. Oh, good question. Did he yeah. even get that? I, that, I, I was thinking this. Uh, I was thinking the, the same the thing. Rainbow. Like, cause I think what was it, like American Stars and Bars or whatever. Like those records that came after where he or Harvest Moon, like the ones where he kind of came back around. Oh yeah, Harvest. Oh, if if Geffen didn't get Harvest Moon, then clearly this was a really intricate like gotcha situation yeah, where Neil no, sacrificed. So keep on rocking in the free fear. world. Yeah, he left Geffen the year before rocking in the free world. <laughs> oh. 
That's awesome. He was sitting on it. He was sitting on that song, I bet, for three years and just saying, uh, let me get out of this Geffen contract before I let this. And, and so then, clearly, Harvest Moon was also not with Geffen. Uh, that was in the 90s. Right. Yeah, he was long gone. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Man. Wow. I mean. That wow. song and that I album were great. That's commitment. That's commitment to a bit right there by Neil. He's like, I'm going to sacrifice the, an entire decade of my career just to get this guy. <laughs> what did Geffen do to Neil Young? That's what I want to know. We'll never know. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. He kind oh. of only released his worst records during that run. <laughs> he, he saved him up. He loved, he'll always talk about that era fondly. The 80s is, he loved that era as an artist. He really got to explore himself and try all these things. And he thought that was a great time for him. Uh, and then other people were ridiculous for saying, well, you don't sound like Neil Young. Well, what's that supposed to mean? I don't know. You can take he, a guess. Yeah. <laughs> and he got to bankrupt uh, David Geffen, too. So no, David Geffen beautiful. ended up doing Geffen pretty well. I think, all, yeah, he was only a billionaire after that. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess it all worked out. Good stuff. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, absolute pleasure to have you on. Yes. Uh, you know, and if people want to hear other musical opinions you have, you've been generous enough to put those in the songs. I don't know if you want to point people towards any particular collections of those that you have yeah. uh, well, I, released. or my, What Neil Young should have done, and what I do, is, um, is pick a different um, band name or artist name if you're depending on the style of it, you know? So, like, if, uh, if, 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 he, if he renamed himself, like, compute, like, vocoder guy, you know? If he was just, yeah. you know, it's a new album from vocoder guy, then you're like, okay, I know what I'm getting into, you know? Yeah. So, I'm the same way. I, one artist is called the Passionate and Objective Joker Fan, and, um, and that's where I just kind of sing about, about musicians, you know? And I'll just be like, Neil Young, you're a good guy. That's, a, yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite. I think that's my favorite <laughs> moniker of yours. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I played a bunch of the Passionate and Objective Joker fan. Um, and that's how I think Matt was like, you, I need to hear some uh, Paul McCartney opinions. <laughs> Because I was just saying, you are the biggest Paul McCartney fan based on listening to those passionate, objective yeah. Joker fans. It's just like these perceived slights where you're like, you know, what the hell? Like, Paul McCartney, Ram is so much right, goddamn he's not, he's, better than Smile. Because yeah. he's not crazy. He doesn't get yeah. that. He's yeah. 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 And I mean, maybe Paul is. Uh, we don't know. Like, honestly, um, why do we know Brian Wilson's crazy? Like, because his publicist like shares <laughs> shares stories with the press. They're like, "Do you know Brian put a bunch of sand under his piano in his house?" And yeah, yeah like, they did I mean, kind of build that up. Yeah, they totally build that up. And so it's all you know, like Paul could be as crazy as Brian. Who knows? But like, we sh- it shouldn't matter. It should not matter. I wish I wish I didn't know any of it, and I just heard. Right, the music's the music. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, there's a huge you know like you know people want to know about the artist and blood, and there's a whole marketing game they have to play so so you know i guess you just have to find a figure out a way to play it in a way that fits you and my way of playing it is by uh shame calling myself the greatest songwriter (laughs) of all time on on the front page of my website (laughs) matt if you had to point to like if if a listener wanted to hear a record of your more traditional songs what what would you point them to like what are you most proud of 
Uh, yeah, as of late, uh, recently, well, it's, I guess it's six years old now, but uh, my band called The Big Heist, we, we, uh, it's, it's these three guys I've known forever, and uh, I was like, I had done projects with each of them separately, but then I was like, let's form a band. And like, they're the, now they're the, when I perform, that they're the band that performs with me. But we spent a year writing a triple album called Mo 75. It's got 47 tracks on it. It's, it's like a loose concept album. And, um, I'm, I'm so I'm so pleased with with the album, and I'm so sad when I look at the Spotify numbers for it, you know. And then I look at like the Spotify numbers for "Pooping My Fingernails," which is another one of my songs, and I'm I'm just like, wow, you know. Well, at least "Pooping My Fingernails" pays the bills, and it gives me time to write these brilliant songs that no one listens to, but. Well, one of these days, check out Mo 75 by The Big Heist. It's a journey. I mean, like I said, 47 track, <laughs> triple album, but um, we knocked it out of the park. So I'd be honored if anyone listened. I'm excited to hear it. I'm going to listen to Shit Magnetic Fields. Yeah, you should. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, fuck you, Steven. I get so mad. When he when 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 that guy's described as being prolific, I'm like prolific. No, get out of here! I have multiple hundred track albums. God, he's got in fifty love songs, and he's such a big deal. Come on. Oh man. Well, if you listeners out there in podcast streaming land uh, enjoyed what you heard today, I would really hope you'd uh, subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes, or you can rate or review. Tell us your thoughts. Uh, you can also follow the podcast, Losing My Opinion, on uh, Twitter, Instagram, or even TikTok. Uh, Matt, are you on TikTok? Uh-huh. Oh, other Matt. This is oh. get... No, no. My song, you know, my songs are on TikTok, so I, I check every once in a while to see what videos people have made with my songs, but I don't, uh, I don't put any videos up myself. But you are very active on Twitter, uh, Moturn Media, very cool channel on there. Yeah, t- tell me... Uh, what do you got coming up? What do you want uh, besides all the other uh, very fantastical things you got going? Any events coming up? Anything you want to just give all right, a shout yeah, out two to? Things, two things. One, follow me on Twitter at Moturn Media, especially if you want a good 20 tweets a day about how great I am. Okay? I highly recommend it. If you want some some self-promotion from the, the king of self-promotion, please check in. I think most of my followers have me muted, by the way. But um, secondly, May 20th, North of Boston, I'm doing a nine-hour extravaganza. I've rented out a, uh, a function hall at the Marriott. Starts at 2 p.m. We're premiering two feature-length movies. First time ever they're screened. And, uh, and then after that, I'm doing a five-and-a-half-hour concert. It's an endurance test. I mean, by the end of the night, if anyone's there, you're going to feel accomplished just for having sat there that long. So um, come, come, May 20th. It started like you were uh, starting to promote like a tantric sex thing. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I got this hotel. It's going to be nine hours. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, whatever goes on in the back of the room, no one's, no one's looking, no one's judging. It's fine. Uh, If Sting could do it, you know, other musicians should uh, shoot for that. So yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, details on moturnmedia.com. I presume. Matt Farley, you were an awesome guest. Thank you so much. We're, uh, we're in the early uh, stages of bringing new friends on and uh, very, very thankful that uh, you've been one of them. 
Uh, it was a real treat to have you. Yeah, this has been a blast. Super, super fun. Very cool. And keep up the good thank work. You. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Nate. Listen to the Saffron record on Spotify. That record is fantastic. And uh, I hope he's working on new stuff. I, I th- there's some stuff that I, I stuff, am. I've heard some songs here and there recently, or I guess in the last like year that are amazing. So I'm excited to hear with the next the next record. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, at the pace I release music, you should be expecting that album about 2028. 20, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll uh, once uh, there's new material, I'll uh, promote it on this this podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah. Sweet, sweet. And, you know, at the end of the day, my, uh, my thesis seemed to fall flat a little bit when I, uh, you know, trans, most disrespectful album of all time. So I could be wrong now. I don't think so. <laughs> I'll say so long, suckers. We'll see you next week.